You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. First and foremost, happy Pride, right? I am honored to be here with you guys. Uh, My name is Frank Espinal. I have been a member of this community since 2013-ish, let's give or take, right? Um, And I'm honored to bring the message with you here today, right? So I work in higher education. I have this firm belief that higher education creates opportunities and allows people to reach new heights. Right, so that's why I do what I do. And today, I'm going to be attempting to impersonate Jonathan. Right, so black Jonathan, whatever you want to call me, that works for me. That works for me. I'm honored. Right, I put that in there for you. All right, so uh, this morning, we're starting a new series entitled What in the Right? So we're kind of breaking down some scripture, right? And we will be exploring some of the most challenging lessons that the Bible teaches us. Today's topic. Lying to God. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do this. So in my infinite wisdom, I forgot to copy and paste the actual liturgy into my message. So I'm going to be reading it from my phone. I got to put my old man glasses on. And I'm going to be taking a step back. The lesson should be starting in Acts chapter 5. But just to reflect, we're going to go back maybe one chapter, like one paragraph, I should say, right? So in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the caption reads, the believers share their possessions. Verse 32 reads, all of the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared, what the heck, sorry. But they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no, that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whose apostles called, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now we move on to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 reads, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, bought the rest, and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard heard this, he fell down and died. Yeah, that's rough. (laughs) I mean, it is. You know, like, like, we're going to get into it, though. We're going to get into it. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body up, carried him out, and buried him. 
About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at this moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her besides her husband. A great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Yeah, that's where we are, people. First and foremost, I want to thank Jonathan. This is an amazing chapter for my first sermon. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. A lot of heavy lifting we got to do here. Okay? Right? This is some real fire and brimstone type of thing, right? Like, if you go, like, I really want to live out my T.D. Jake's dreams right now, and I want to, like, start yelling and touch a neighbor, touch a neighbor, no lie, no lie, right? You want to do something like that. No, you do. You seriously do. Like, you, you want to sit there and you want to send that message. But the truth is that the question that lays over our head is, one, where's the forgiveness in this chapter, right? It's kind of Jesus' brand, right? Right? Like, for me, at least. I don't know about y'all. I don't want to drag y'all down with me. But Jesus' brand is forgiveness. So where is it? Why isn't it here? That kind of struck me as really odd, right? The other thing is, like, like lying? That's, you know, it's a thing. Let's be honest. You know, it's a thing that we dabble with. We're human beings, right? However, plot twist. Now we have no forgiveness, and we're left with two deaths after all of this happens. So where are we with this, right? Let's unpack. Full disclosure, I struggled while writing this sermon, right? This is not an easy topic to discuss in general because we all lie, and it's a fact of becoming who we are, right? It's part of the, like, being a human thing, right? Then the second thing that made me struggle was that there's absolutely no forgiveness, and that was really hard to process for me, right? It almost goes against who we know Jesus and the apostles to be. What is interesting is that one of the verses that popped up during my research is the verse that's in the book of Matthew, where Matthew asked Jesus, how many times do we forgive those who have sinned against us? Seven times? And Jesus says, not seven, but 77, right? And the ironic part is that there's actually a verse in that chapter where it says, if someone sins against you, pull them aside in private until you can win them over, right? And yet, here we are. Two bodies over money. Doesn't seem very biblical to me, right? I don't know about you guys, but this was a little bit of a struggle, right? During our preaching boot camp, I was paired with Joel Klein, and one of the best pieces of advice that he gave me was not to add to what the Bible says, right? Read it for what it is. And that is a great bit of advice, but it's not very comforting at this moment, right? It just isn't. And I still feel lost, but the beauty of this scripture is that sometimes it can feel defeating, but it's the privilege of wrestling with this text. That's what we have, right? And in this wrestling, we're going to sort of sort this out a little bit and pull out what it is that we need, right? So what are we to make of this story? Let us unpack this together. Let's get some context first. In the first chapter that I read, we get a clear picture of what is happening here, right? It starts, the believers share their possessions. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the reconstruction, to the resurrection, sorry, of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, 
bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to all who had need. That is a beautiful thought, right? The idea that we could say, okay, as a collective, we are going to strip everything down and take care of everybody, right? Who's with me if you think this sounds kind of cultish? <laughs> Look at Angela. Angela was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I didn't know you were going to say that. Thank you. Thank you, D. I appreciate it. All right, so I'll say it. I'll say it for everybody else. That's very cultish, very weird, right? That's the type of church where you make a donation and they look at what you put in the bag and they're like, really? That's what you're going to put in there? Like, I know what you do for a living. Like, you could kind of, you can put an extra zero on that check, right? That sounds like an enormous amount of pressure, right? And when we give, like, I could tell you here, I've been around Forefront the hardest, like, I've been around Forefront for a long time. And the hardest part of the service, in my opinion, is the donation. Because you need it. You want to ask for it. We want to support the community that we have. But it is very hard to ask people to give. And the apostles in this time, they're asking you to give, like capital G, capital I, right? That, that's what's going on. So let's take a look at this from a different angle, right? So let's say I gave you a blank check. And I told you to use this check to buy a house, your dream house. No, you know, the amount is determined by you. Whatever you want. Buy the home, right? Fill in the zeros, I got you, right? Cost was no issue. You could have everything you wanted in terms of your home. It would be designed the way you wanted to, and you would have equity in this property. Now, to me, the equity is the safety part, right? The idea that I got a little something. So when something happens, I don't got to run around and move money from here and there and dip into those savings that I'm not supposed to be touching, right, and all those other things. So this piece of property would mean a lot for you. For me, it would make me jump for joy, right? Think for a second. Where would, you, where would your new house be? Would you still be a Brooklynite? Would you live in the suburbs? Would you move to Jersey? Would you leave New York altogether, right? You could live in another state, another country if you wanted to, right? This is your dream home. Right? The comfort of knowing that when those little surprises pop up, then you wouldn't have to scramble around for this money. Right? It means you're taking care of yourself and everyone under your roof, and that provides you with some real security. Some time passes, and then you know, you've enjoyed your marble floors, and you've created some beautiful memories around that kitchen island. Right? Like your HGTV fantasies are like alive at this moment. Right? Right? That seafoam green and that color blue, and you're doing the contrast wall and the floors and all that. Right? I can't be the only one that watches this stuff all day Sunday. I cannot be the only one. Because those property brothers, they're charming. They are, they are charming. They are charming, right? So you settled into this new chapter of your life, and it's pretty sweet. But then I inform you that it's time to sell your home at a loss. I don't need the money, right? I don't need the money back. But you got to sell it. We need it, Right? How does this feel? You kind of start to see things through the perspective of Ananias and Sapphira, right? You have this security. Now put yourself in this moment, biblical times, and what sets you apart, what gives you the financial freedom that you need is cattle, land, right? No matter what happens, you have this. You pass this on from generation to generation. So when people are selling property, you are literally selling your identity. You are selling the thing that takes care of you, the thing that takes care of those that you love. That's a big ask. Let me check where I am with our notes. Here we go. So it's not a stretch to think 
that you would not be full of nobility and positive energy when I ask you to sell your home for the quote unquote greater good of our forefront community, regardless of how you feel. This whole like we all we got type of mindset, it seems kind of far-fetched at this moment, doesn't it? Seems a little difficult to reach. And if we're being honest, asking people to sell their property so that all, could, so that all people could be provided for, that is what strikes me as just a bit cultish. You're asking for a little much, right? The apostles had just seen Jesus resurrected, and as Jonathan has mentioned in some, uh, some of his sermons prior to, they thought he was coming back in the same way that we wait for like the newest season of Ozark on Netflix, right? <laughs> this is just like a matter of like when, right? Like maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year, but like it's coming. Like, so let's go, let's move, right? And this, right, to them, it was just a matter of it's gonna happen in the near future. So we gotta make these moves right now. And it was a necessity in order to grow the church that the apostles had been called to build and develop. It wasn't an attempt at buying your way into heaven or God's favor, but more so a sign that I am here and I am in it for the long haul. Taking a step back now at some point in the process, you can see that how selling their land made Ananias and Sapphira hit a point where they had to ask themselves, how do we know? How do we know that this Jesus thing is real? Like, I'm cool. Like, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll come here. I'll give a little something. But you're asking me to give all. And that's a steep price. And maybe they weren't ready to do that. Right? Does this start to make sense a little bit? Right? You kind of starting to see the other angle? So we can see how this new relationship with God in the minds of everyone else did not include giving everything up. This was a new relationship. It was in its infancy. And we can see how the newly baptized are still making sense of how to fit all of this change into their new lives. It's like when we meet somebody new and we text for a day or two and we go on a couple of dates and then three weeks later we're figuring out how is this going to work? Like when am I going to see them? Are we going to move in? Can I split my rent? Look how much money I'm going to save, right? You just kind of get carried away. All right, that's just me. Fine. That's okay. I'll stand on this island. I'm, you know, I'm splint the rent island all the way down the middle, right? But at the end of the day, we see how this excitement and this energy can turn into like, but how? But how does this work? Right? How do we get here? How does this work in the future? Right? And then you add an investment on top of that, and now we're starting you know, to kind of see how that pressure can kind of fold. Right? The commitment had to be serious. How do I make time for this? What if this is not what I think it is? And here are Ananias and Sapphira risking their financial security and their family security and being told that this is for the quote unquote greater good. I'm not sure any of us can really embrace that much change and that intense level of commitment in such a short amount of time for some people that they barely knew. We start to see how anyone could have been tempted into thinking that they needed a backup plan or maybe just a small portion to fall back on just in case this doesn't work out. Right? It's starting to make sense now? Right? You guys are with me? Yeah. Okay. So then we could see this from Ananias and Sapphira's point of view. But there is another side to this. In this passage, it states in verse 4, did it not belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. Yeah. So the problem here was not solely the sale or the promise of the amount that was to be donated. They could have easily sold their property and kept the portion and donated the rest to the church. But instead, they decided to declare that they were given the entire amount 
and keep a secret stash. They chose to lie to God about this. Lying to each other, that's one thing. Lying to God, completely different level. And Ananias and Sapphira chose to present themselves as being, quote, unquote, all in. But also having kept an option B in case things didn't work out. This would, not, this would be a smart strategy if we're talking business. But this isn't about business. This is a matter of faith. It's a lot to ask to have people sell their property to provide for everyone else, but at least the intention was made clear. Having had the chance to come clean, they chose not to. This is where we are, church fam. Right? It's not just the sale. It's the sale with the intent, having had the opportunity, and still moving forward. Right? So the question we have to answer now is, will God punish me if I lie? Right? Because the punishment seems kind of steep. Because the minute they asked Ananias, he was like, boom, done, out, next. And they, apparently they have a crew that just picks up bodies and takes them out. <laughs> right? So, like, it's not the lying part. It's not the Peter part. It's the group of men that's, like, the scary part for me. Right? Like, I would imagine that the door closes and you can hear them talking. Like, yo, let's wait to see what happens. Right? <laughs> So earlier in my introduction, I mentioned that lying is something that we all do. It is part of the imperfections that come with being a human being. Lying is a sin, and it is a choice that we make. When we come up short, will God destroy us the way he destroyed Ananias and Sapphira? Let's take a look at what scripture says. In the book of Psalms, chapter 12, verses 2 to 6, it reads, Everyone deceives and flatters and lies. There is no sincerity left, but the Lord will not deal gently with people who act like that. He will destroy those proud liars who say, we will lie to our heart's content. Our lips are our own. Who can stop us? The Lord replies. I will arise and defend the oppressed, the poor, the needy. I will rescue them as they have longed for me to do. The Lord's promise is sure. He speaks no careless words. All he says is the purest truth like silver, seven times refined. No comfort there whatsoever. It's not. We're basically repeating the same pattern, right? Here's God saying, lie, boom, hammer, done, finished, next, let's go. Kind of feels like an assembly line type of situation instead of a confession, instead of like growth, right? So this seems to fall in, this passage, this passage seems to fall in line with the one that we read earlier, right? The overall message is that if you lie, there'll be a price to pay. However, let's take another look. This verse says that God will destroy proud liars who lie to their heart's content. This is not a matter of little lies or big ones. However, it is a matter of where your heart is. Ananias and Sapphira chose to keep this portion of their sale for their own reasons, but they publicly declared their donation. This, once again, is the issue. The lie that both highlights their actions and gives them what they want is what we, we can't do both. That's the one thing that we cannot do. It's what they say you can't serve two masters. When we lie, we hurt others, but when we lie with intention, we hurt God. The expectation to be perfect can sometimes cause pressure in us, and I would imagine that that would be a direct result, right? The pressure causes us to overthink and what and to overthink and do what we think is best. Once we are moving towards what we think is best, we have already started to stray from where God wants us to be. Does that make sense, fam? Right? We all on the same page? 
so, maybe our goal is more like what it says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25, 26, 27, and 29. And it reads, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body, and your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Key, do not give the devil a foothold. Again, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm going to read that one more time. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Family, the goal was never perfection. It never was. The goal is consistency. Consistent growth. And if you are moving consistently, that is going to come with victories and that is going to come with setbacks. And that balance is where our humility comes from. That is what God forgives. Not perfection, consistency. This is why we are told not to lie. We are a part of one body and we need each other. We are accountable to one another. Lying only creates division and spaces that further divide us apart. Richard Strauss, who is a graduate of the Dallas Theological Seminary and the senior pastor at the Emmanuel Faith Community Church in California, describes the moral of the story of Ananias and Sapphira this way. The major sin of Ananias and Sapphira was dishonesty and presenting a false image of themselves, implying a greater spirituality than they actually possessed, letting people think more highly of them than what they knew was warranted. They were more interested in appearances than reality. Peter said, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Quick side note. As I was doing my research for this sermon, I found a website called BibleHub.com. And one of the features that it has is that you can lay out the, the, the entire liturgy, right, the chapter you're reading, or you can zoom in on each verse. And then there's an option where you can lay out each verse according to different interpretations of the Bible. I see you nodding your head. I appreciate that. All right? So you get the King James Version, you get the NIV Version, right, all that. And what I noticed is that obviously there's different interpretations. Some of them are more harsh. Some of them are more, you know, lenient. The message is still the same. But the one verse that was almost identical was Acts chapter 5, verse 4. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. It's as if to say this part cannot be lost to interpretation. If there's one part that has to be absolutely clear, we have arrived at this point. Strauss goes on to say that the message that we can learn from Ananias and Sapphira is clear. We can deceive others, but we cannot deceive God. We have simply fallen into the unconscious habit of protecting our saintly image, covering our carnality, keeping people from knowing what is going on in our hearts and in our homes. Christians must realize that the selfless, transparent fellowship of the church must never be violated by selfish hypocrisy. Let us commit ourselves to absolute straightforwardness and transparency. The Holy Spirit can use an honest openness to produce in us the life of Christ that, has, that means abundant life, abiding joy, and abounding blessing. Now, 
Here's the part where I come to you personally. I stand before you, not as just like a human being who has had his moments, right, and failures. I've had my moments where I've overextended. I'm too much energy for some people, too much energy, too, too much energy for other people, right? I'm very aware of that. But I also come to you as someone who, like, lying was my thing, right? That was my thing. It was just easier to lie. You know? And as a child of immigrants, like I don't know if anybody here is a child of immigrants, but that pressure that they put on you, right? Like, did you get this parking ticket? No. <laughs> so who got it? You should talk to mom. Like, you know, she don't know how to park. You know, like, it's, it's one of those things. Like, did you pay your credit card bill? Of course I did. And then I scramble, I gotta hit the late fee, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, right? That guilt that comes from that, it was just easier for me to lie, right? My favorite lie was, where are you? I'm 10 minutes away. <laughs> 10 minutes away, right? It was my favorite lie. And it's, it's laughable, it's funny, until someone told me, I can't trust you. They were like, not only do I know you're not 10 minutes away, you're not 30 minutes away. <laughs> like, I'm not that bad, right? But like, I wasn't 10 minutes away. And then little by little, there was no trust. It didn't become a matter of imperfection, it just became who I was. And this behavior eroded some of the relationships that mean the most to me former partners that I had, and my family, my parents, and my two brothers. So these are people, like, I guess that's what the young kids call them, like your day ones, right? Your, your people you've been with forever, right? And it's one thing to lie out of fear or out of discomfort, and it's another thing when you are known as the liar, right? When you know that that is what's being whispered about you, that what you say can't be trusted. So for me, I had to rebuild each one of these relationships one at a time. Wipe the slate clean, start all over, and let my word be my bond. My word was fact, whether I was right or wrong. I just couldn't be known as this anymore. Family, I come to you with this transparency so that you could understand that you can do the same with me. And I'm pretty sure if you look around this community, you have someone that will hold you accountable as well but they will also hug you and work through these problems with you. If we want to stop lying, if we want to get closer to God, we have to be accountable to each other. Not perfection, but consistency. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, first of all, thank you for allowing us to celebrate pride today. Thank you for allowing my congregation to be who they need to be and who you made them to be. What I'm asking, Father God, is that you take the bonds that are here and you make them stronger, that you work with us, and that you pull at our heartstrings so that we can treat each other as family and be as close as we need to. So when these moments show up, we know who to call, we know who to reach out to. We pray for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.